Hi, everybody. Welcome to Weather Jazz on a Friday, as I always like to say, uh, because we made it. We're rounding third and heading home into the weekend. And this is a world audience podcast about anything and everything, mostly weather, science, earth science, astronomy, and periodically some interesting off-topic episodes as well. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 164 for Friday, March 12, 2021, and it's Open Line Friday, where we let you, the audience, essentially drive the boat. Where are we going today? What kinds of questions are we going to entertain? Mostly yours. Now, periodically, I will pull out just uh, an off-topic out of a hat, only because I'm interested in it or I read something that I think would be of interest to you recently. I included, for instance, my brother's creme fraiche recipe, which you can still get. On an open line Friday previous to this, just scroll down and you will see uh, his video that he does for a website, his website, DennyBurninger.com. But I've embedded that straight in WeatherJazz.com. You can check it out. I use Creme Fresh a lot. And uh, so when he said, hey, you can make your own, I said, make a video. I will include it. And I have. So if any of you ever try to make it, let me know. Give me a call on the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line or send me an email and let me know what you made with it, too. That is not, however, going to be today's topic. Uh, actually, we're going to go to the phones. Again, I mentioned the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. The number is 234 525 5888. 234-525-5888. That's the number to call to leave your question, your comment, or whatever it is you have on your heart and mind. I may, if I find it interesting enough, include it in a future episode of Weather Jazz. Now, when I woke up this morning, sun was shining. Yes, it's a little bit uh, brisker. If I, I may use that term, then over the last couple of days, uh, we had a four-day stretch. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where the temperature went above 60. We started at 61 on Monday. And we ended up going into the 70s for a couple of days. Obviously, there's been a shift in the weather pattern. We will cool down to near normal this weekend. And just in case you're wondering what normal is, it's 45 Nowhere near what we had Monday through Thursday of this week. So I got up this morning and I thought I really don't have any material, but I looked in my bag of tricks. I looked inside the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line and I realized that there were a couple of questions that I never got to. So I'm actually going to pull those into the program today. Along with that, I have several emails. We'll also address that as well. So without further delay, here is the first from our Weather Jazz audience podcast connect line. Hello, Andre. This is Frank from Norwalk once again. 
Okay, so I got a question about Saturday night. We had uh, 24 degrees, and we had a freezing, very light rain. I couldn't even call it rain, more of a, a mist. But I can understand how you could have a 33-degree atmospheric temperature with cold car windshields and have freezing rain. I do not understand how you can have freezing rain when the atmospheric condition is less than 32 degrees. Thank you. All righty, Frank. Great question. Let's dive in to the dynamics behind freezing rain. And you have to think of the atmosphere three-dimensionally in order to understand what is going on. And then I'll have an interesting personal story about freezing rain. All right, the dynamics, first of all. You need the temperature at the surface to be at or under freezing, but the layer just above it, just above our heads, a few thousand feet or even a few hundred feet above our heads, can actually be quite warm. In other words, there's warm air coming up out of the south or southwest typically at that altitude, but that warm air cannot dislodge the very cold, dense air at the surface very readily in many, many cases. So while the precipitation actually starts as snow, it falls into this zone, and this can be a few thousand feet thick just above our heads, and that snow will melt. It will change to rain or light rain. And then that rain, the liquid rain, will fall back into the cold zone. But because that cold zone is so shallow, it doesn't have enough time to refreeze. And therefore, it stays liquid until it uh, hits something here at the surface. And typically, that's going to be under freezing. And the, the minute it hits something, it freezes on contact. And that's what we see as a glaze. Uh, now, interesting to note, again, that you do need temperatures at the surface to be under 32 degrees for that to happen, but just above our heads, and the thicknesses vary a little bit, but the thickness has to be uh, enough, the warm air above our heads, warm enough and thick enough so that snow will melt in that zone before it falls back into the, the cold zone at the surface, and uh, many times that can only be uh, a few hundred feet, a thousand feet. Uh, if it gets any greater than a thousand feet thickness, that uh, rain might actually refreeze in that process, and that's where sleet occurs. So if that uh, surface layer is thick enough, the rain, which occurs a few thousand feet in the air above our heads, will actually refreeze, and uh, that's where you get the little ice pellets or sleet. So that's the dynamics of freezing rain. Now, here's an interesting story, and I truthfully never thought that this was possible, but it did happen to both uh, Sally and I, we were uh, living in Minnesota at the time in the mid-1980s before coming to Cleveland. And it was a weekend, and the, the surface temperature was very, very cold. It was <clears throat> basically that morning 
uh, in the, the uh, single digits below zero and then r- rose to just above zero. Uh, it was a Saturday evening, and we were forecasting a clipper to come by and give us a couple of inches of snow. And that clipper pulled enough warm air aloft over our heads so that uh, there was a a layer of air which was above freezing. So the clipper snow actually melted, changed into just regular rain. But at the surface, the surface temperature was so cold and so dense that at the surface, I still remember seeing the bank thermometer, seven degrees. It was seven degrees, and it was raining. It was not sleet. It was not snow. It was liquid rain because that layer of very, very cold air was probably only a few hundred feet thick, and the rain did not have as cold as it was. It simply did not have the the opportunity or time to refreeze uh, before it hit the ground. So it hit things as liquid, but obviously at 7 degrees with everything in that zone at single-digit temperatures, it instantly froze. I mean, there was a glaze of ice that just formed so fast that night uh, that uh, it truly was amazing. I never thought possible, if possible rather, that freezing rain could actually fall anywhere when it was in the single digits. But we witnessed it with our own eyes. Uh, in Minneapolis. Don't ask me the weekend it was, but it was in the mid-1980s, and it was a weekend. It was a Saturday night uh, that occurred. Uh, So there you go, uh, an interesting dynamic behind freezing rain, and I hope that helps. Here's our next question from the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. Hey, Andre. My name's Harry, and I'm a native of the east side of Cleveland. Love the podcast and always enjoy watching your forecast on Fox 8. Anyways, being a Clevelander, I've always been fascinated with snow, specifically lake effect snow, of course. And that brings me to sort of my nerdy question. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the DGZ for the dendritic growth zone. I wonder if you could explain what it is and how how it affects precipitation types. Anyway, that's my question, and hope you can talk about it on one of your upcoming shows. Thanks. Bye. Another excellent question, and this one certainly very, very meteorological in nature, and it's a relatively new thing that has uh, come up and been studied over the last decade to maybe decade and a half, that being the dendritic growth zone. And that is, in simple terms, a zone vertically, again, you have to look at the atmosphere in three dimensions. It is the zone above our heads where a certain type of uh, a certain type of snow will very quickly develop. And that zone will actually feed the lower atmosphere and uh, much of the the snowfall manufacturing in the cloud will be, in the DGZ, the dendritic growth zone. Best way to think about it is as you go up in altitude and in in elevation above your head, the atmosphere typically gets colder. 
and you move into the, the cloud structure, if the cloud structure is thick enough. The first level you want to stop at is at 10 degrees below zero Celsius. And then you keep going until you hit 20 degrees below zero Celsius. And you stop right there. And then you look at how deep that layer is. If it's very, very deep, uh, you've got a lot of snow growth going on, assuming that there is a, a cloud deck where you're measuring this. So there has to be moisture at that altitude or at, in between those altitudes. If there is, you're getting a lot of snow growth. And chances are you are getting a decent snowfall rate here at the surface. Now, it doesn't really um, translate when, when you're talking about different types of snow, whether it's a plate or needles. or That really is a function of the uh, current temperature at the ground, what survives the trip. But in the DGZ, the thicker the DGZ, the greater the snowfall rate will be. Because, as it is understood, much of the snowfall production in a cloud is going to be between the minus 10 and the minus 20 Celsius layer. We have these things called skew-t diagrams. Skew-t diagrams essentially look at the atmosphere in three dimensions, uh, straight up in a column. And that's why we send up weather balloons at various locations. The nearest ones to us would be Detroit and Pittsburgh. Uh, and we look at those very often. Uh, there isn't one that is released in Cleveland, for those of you in the Cleveland market wondering that. So we look at Pittsburgh. We look at Detroit. We look at Buffalo, uh, places that actually do release the balloon data. And we can extrapolate from those what the DGZ, approximate DGZ, would be here. Uh, and again, we look at how deep the layer is and is there moisture there. And we can tell that from uh, whether or not the dew point is close to the temperature in that skew-t diagram. If it's not, if it breaks out, that says that there's not a lot of moisture production going on. And uh, so looking at that depth really doesn't matter that much. But if, if there's sufficient moisture in that layer, uh, then the greater the layer or the deeper that layer, the greater the snow rate has the potential to be. I hope that answers your question. That was a very, very good question, and uh, hope you were able to to follow along for those uh, kind of scratching their heads going, dendritic growth zone. That is a $64,000 question, in, or $64,000 phrase, without a doubt. All right, to wrap things up here on this Open Line Friday, I have two more questions and these questions came into my email address, and that's weatherjazz at yahoo.com. I welcome you to use that email if you want to email a question in. But, of course, I always encourage you to use the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. That way you can leave your question in your own words, and we can use that question on the air. All right. Don Wilson from North Ridgeville asks... Uh, the following. He says in his email, I was walking my dog today at noon 
on a brilliant sunny day while listening to the Weather Jazz podcast. I was thinking that today was a CAVU day. That, by the way, is an acronym that means Clear and Visibility Unlimited. When you started talking about NACITS, N-A-C-I-T-S, which, by the way, stands for Not a Cloud in the Sky, I was wondering... How many days are like this in Northeast Ohio, and is there a certain season when these Nackets days are more common? Thank you, and I really enjoy the Weather Jazz podcast. Well done. Nackets, by the way, is an acronym that I actually came up with in the summer of 1981, at my first television job in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, we used to pass a piece of paper on to uh, what is called a Chiron operator. Uh, Chiron was the company name uh, that developed the system that we could electronically type things and they would appear on the screen instead of using things like uh, boards, magnetic letters, that kind of thing. So I would give the forecast every day to the Chiron operator, and that operator would enter in the forecast so that when I called for the forecast, it would show up uh, on the screen. Now, of course, we do things a little differently. We actually have a computer that we run, and we can put our own forecast in. So it uh, takes uh, or it reduces the possibility of error, of transcription error. But on this one day, I put on the sheet, not a cloud in the sky. I, I like getting very descriptive. And the person came back and said, this won't fit. <laughs> so can you please shorten this up? And I didn't want to use clear or sunny and that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, not a cloud in the sky, N-A-C-I-T-S. And let's pronounce that with a hard C. It sounds better. And we called it Nackets. And so Nackets was born on that day uh, in the summer of 1981 at WMT-TV Channel 2 in Cedar Rapids. And it's followed me in my career ever since. Okay, let's get back to Don's question. Is there a certain season when those kinds of days are more common? And the answer is absolutely yes, there is, at least in the greater Cleveland area. I cannot speak for other parts of the country, and I'm sure it is true for other parts of the country. It depends on your local climatology for those of you who are listening outside of the Cleveland television market. But for Cleveland, uh, obviously, the sun is something which is uh, really difficult to achieve here in the wintertime. And the reason is Lake Erie. Lake Erie uh, is the contributor to a lot of moisture in the atmosphere as the cold air comes over the moisture on the lakes. It picks up that moisture and it condenses it as cloud cover. It's very, very cloudy here in Cleveland in the wintertime. However, the exact opposite happens in the summertime. Because of the lake, and because the lake is uh, still recovering from its wintertime chill, especially early in the season, but even into the latter portions of July and August, June, July, and August, things are very sunny. Because the lakes stabilize the atmosphere, there's not a lot of moisture, there's not a lot of vertical development, there's not a lot of transfer of moisture from the lake into the sky, 
So uh, it is very, very sunny. So your chance of getting a completely sunny day is extremely good going into the Great Lakes states, uh, really anywhere in the Great Lakes states. Well, you have cloudy days, sure. You have showers, you have thunderstorms, you have cold fronts that come through. But uh, some of the sunniest days climatologically occurs in June, July, and August. Dick Goddard, when he was alive and when he was on television, would often tell all of the viewers, including uh, those of us that worked under him, that climatologically there is more sunshine that occurs in Cleveland than in Honolulu, Hawaii, in the meteorological summer, which is June, July, and August. A lot of people kind of go, really? Yes, that is true. You have a better chance of uh, cloud cover in Hawaii and Honolulu than you do in Cleveland in those months. There's um, a lot of interesting dynamics going on uh, in Hawaii, uh, which would uh, cause more cloud cover there than there is here in those months. So there you have it, Don. I hope that answers your question. And I had two questions. I'm only going to address the first one today anyway. Uh, And this one comes from Tom Loya. And my wife and I were talking about this question this morning. And it it certainly was a point of, of interesting conversation. His question was, what would happen if the earth was completely flat? What would happen to the weather? if the earth was completely flat? Wow, what a question, uh, because there are a lot of things uh, that uh, would be going on dynamically, physically. Uh, First of all, there probably wouldn't be an atmosphere if the earth was flat, that uh, because there's not enough depth for gravity to hold an atmosphere in. So chances are, There would be no weather. But let's just, for the sake of argument, assume that there could be enough gravity to hold the current atmosphere in the composition that we have today. So uh, let's grab that assumption and move it into the, the theoretical realm then at this point. What would the weather be like? Well, first of all, you don't have the uneven heating that you do with a sphere. With the sphere, the globe, you have uneven heating, less heating at the poles, more heating at the equator, and it is then the desire for the hot weather or the warmer weather at the equatorial zones to migrate north and south, and the cold air to migrate back south, kind of an exchange, if you will, uh, and because that globe is spinning, you have something called the Coriolis force, so the air masses begin to spin. That's what causes low-pressure systems, high-pressure systems, wind. The wind is essentially a result of the heat from the equator going north and the cold air from the poles going south. Well, you don't have that if the Earth is flat. You have an even surface. And of course, you have to then ask yourself, is that flat surface spinning? If it is spinning, how much of that surface is actually pointing directly at the sun in the spinning? 
Or is it not spinning? Uh, let's assume that it's a, a, a direct perpendicular strike of the sun on the flat surface as it's spinning in a 24-hour day. Well, you would have an extremely cold night and you would have an extremely hot day tempered a little bit by the atmosphere theoretically assuming that there could be one wrapped around a flat surface so it's all a fascinating question and again lots of theory and and perhaps we could go even deeper and deeper and deeper into that to answer that question but uh what a fascinating question to ponder. I hope that helps. Again, a lot of it would be theory because a flat surface couldn't hold an atmosphere. So really, in reality, uh, there would be no weather. Uh, it would be like the surface of the moon. It uh, doesn't matter what's happening uh, with the sun or with the angles because there's nothing to push around. That doesn't say that or doesn't mean that the surface itself doesn't see an increase in temperature and a decrease at night. It does on the moon, but you can't take the temperature above the lunar surface because there's nothing to take the temperature of. <laughs> there's no air. So anyway, that is pretty much it. There's another topic. We might uh, be able to broach that. At a later time, I might save that for another uh, open line Friday. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for your question. Again, if you would like to submit your question to Weather Jazz, I'm always looking for yours via email, and that's weatherjazz at yahoo.com. Or you can call the Weather Jazz audience uh, podcast connect line, and that is 234 525 5888. I encourage that. That way we can actually make sure that we understand your question and, and you can uh, voice it in your own voice and we can use that on the air. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Open Line Friday. Help me to spread the word any way you can. Let other people know about this podcast and how you listen to it. Of course, you can listen to it using any podcast app out there. Just do a search for Weather Jazz, or you can listen via the weatherjazz.com browser. Special thanks to all of you who have partnered to support Weather Jazz. Victoria Singer from Vermont. Will and Tanya Krause from Ohio. Christine Barnes, Ohio. Rose Moore, Ohio. Bill Martin in Florida and Andrea Rich in Tennessee. I still would love to add your name to that growing list. Do it today and do it by the end of this month, and I'm going to send you my autobiographical timeline book called The Extra Mile while they are available. And uh, you can become a supporter at any one of three levels. The lowest is 99 cents a month. And all of the links are available on weatherjazz.com. Just uh, scroll down to the bottom of every episode post that you find. Today's episode post is number 164. Again, if you have a question, topic, suggestion, we can do it via email, weatherjazz at yahoo.com, and the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888. Hey, we'll catch you next week with another engaging episode of Weather Jazz. See you then. Weather and science across the globe. Across the globe. Across the globe.
Jazz Pop.